What's up, this Shaq Bear, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast, and this is the 27th episode of Season 2. Today, we're going to be talking about our top five sleepers for the season, talking about guys like James Conner, Gabriel Davis, Daniel Jones, Adam Troutman, and why we believe we have, they have some big fantasy potential this year. Joining me is a woman who has been featured by both the New York Times and CNN. She is a cast member of the award-winning Fantasy Football Live Show, a fantasy writer for Yahoo Sports, and is a graduate of 2020's 14th best-ranked college in the U.S., Brown University, with over 37,000 followers on Twitter. She is Liz Lozo. What's going on, Liz? Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I mean, for letting me join you. <laughs> My God. <laughs> um, that was such an incredibly professional introduction. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here for your 27th show. Hey, I'm, I'm just as excited as you are, and I can't wait to get into it. But one of the things that we were talking about pre-show a little bit is kind of how you got into it. And I think that your story, like of how you got into this and like where you are now is like fascinating. So can you give us a little, a little, a little quip about your, how you got into it and how you got to where you are now? Sure. Um, so I like to say, and I believe that the most interesting people also have lived the most detoured lives. And when I say that, I think about people like Bruce Arians, right? Yeah. Like, yes, he's coming off of a Super Bowl championship, but also his journey to that championship is full of twists and turns and pitfalls and obstacles. Um, and I don't know if he ever would have thought that that it would happen a decade ago, maybe even five years ago. So my journey to becoming a fantasy analyst and being fortunate enough to work in this space is similarly, although I mean, shit, I'm not making as much as Bruce Arians, <laughs> is similarly full of um, unexpected, um, un unexpected obstacles and from disappointments came some pretty amazing things. So Basically, um, I think people know, I've said this before, I was raised by a single mom. My mom was a single mom. Uh, I was 13 months old when she became a single mom. And uh, my she moved in with my grandparents. And my grandfather kind of took on the role of primary caregiver from a domestic point of view. Yeah. Obviously, my mom was out hustling and working and putting food on the table. And she has an amazing, she has an amazing story in her own right. She is now, I'm just going to give her a shout out because I'm super proud of her. Yeah. And because I lived this journey. Um, she went from being like a single mom where we some months didn't have like electricity to now being a judge in the city of Chicago and head of the paternity division. So, wow. you know, I have seen her <laughs> kick all kinds of ass and take down obstacles. And so um, I think I learned from the best in terms of trying to turn a negative into a net positive. So, um, but anyway, so my grandfather was in charge of me. He drove me to my ice skating lessons and my ballet classes. I was horrible at ballet, by the way. I'm not graceful. Um, volleyball, you name it. Um, and along the process, I learned everything that he had to teach me. And this is a World War II vet who worked as a locomotive engineer and grew up in the, like, blue-collar world of the city of Chicago. So I learned how to, like diagnose a 
faulty belt in a washing machine and how to change the oil in a car back before computers controlled everything and who the best Chicago Cubs were every, I mean, we had WGN and like he would pour himself a gin martini and eat cheese crackers from the Aldi's and watch Cubs baseball every single afternoon. I'd come home from school, walk home from school and that's where he was and I would join him and do my homework. So like I learned sports, all of the Jordan years growing up were like side by side with my grandpa and obviously the Chicago Bears were a large part of fandom for me growing up and learning the game. It wasn't just like, you're going to watch it. He was like, okay, so there are four chances to advance the ball. And so he'd like, there's no no DVRs back then, but he would teach me as we were going. So I learned the rules of what I was watching. And I didn't think it was particularly odd because it was, because it was a kid and that was my life. Uh, fast forward a bunch of years, I went away to university to, to Brown, as you mentioned. And unfortunately, my grandfather grew very, very ill. I always get a little choked up when I tell this part. Um, he grew very, very ill my first semester. And he, my mom called me and said, I was in the middle of my finals. And uh, my transition to Brown was not the smoothest because I was definitely experiencing some culture shock. And she called and said, you have to get home as soon as possible. I don't know if your grandpa's going to like make it. And he actually had like, collapsed two days after I left for college but nobody told me and it was almost like he was like I like to believe like preserving himself for me I had no idea he he had no health issues until like I left so I came home I didn't make it in time it was awful the worst day of my life and as a way to like grieve I turned on the television the local the local channel and um there was a Bears game on we're playing the Vikings and it was like week 14 or week 15, December, obviously finals. And um, I then just started watching every single football game, not just NFC North games, as a way to grieve. It was the only thing I knew. I didn't have any closure to say goodbye. I hadn't seen this coming. It was an awful like time. And so I just started consuming as much football as possible. And girl, nobody was going to pay for me to see a therapist. That kind of money was not available. <laughs> so like. Um, And then I, in doing that, gained an awareness and a knowledge of the league as a whole. So as a whole, so I went from being like a regional fan to an NFL fan. A couple of years after that, I started dating this guy and he, you know, bashfully said one day, like, do you mind, I have this thing called the Red Zone Channel and do you mind if like we... I just kind of watch football all day because I'm in this thing called the fantasy football league and it's like really helpful. And I was like, girl, what? <laughs> I, this is my vibe on Sundays. Like I was kind of bashful to be like, so I have this tradition on Sundays. It's kind of weird. I know other like girls don't do this, but like, yeah. this is my thing. And he had beat me to the punch. And also I was a struggling actress at the time in Los Angeles and definitely could not afford the red zone channel. Like did not have that kind of dope either. <laughs> so I was like, yes, like what, what are we, what are you buying for lunch? <laughs> like, are we eating wings? Are we eating Chinese? Like pizza? You tell me I'll bring the natty light. That's all I got. And so, um, but you can't drink. So never mind. We were drinking fruit beer. Yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> um, so yeah, so he started like asking me, he realized, as we were watching the games that I knew what was happening because I would cheer at the right moments and also like swear under my breath if something <laughs> happened, you know, and, or, or make a comment about a player who had switched teams. Yeah. And so he started asking me for my advice and I gave it to him. And slowly um, I ended up 
co-managing his team to a Super Bowl victory that year. Wow. And I was hooked. Like, <laughs> hooked out. It's like, put it in my veins. This is like choose your own adventure for sports fans. And it really felt like I was like getting to be with my grandpa for the, for that time yeah. that I was watching the games, you know? So I asked the league, the commissioner of the league if I could join next season. And there happened to be an opening. And so I took it. And I won the league. Wow. And everybody, yeah. And everybody was like, that is some beginner's luck. It was Donovan McNabb, by the way, was my quarterback. And everybody said, I only lost one game, yeah. one head to head match the entire season. And we played a 17 week season, not a 16 week season. And the everybody balked and said, like, oh, it's beginner's luck. And I went and won it a second year in a row. So technically, oh I won it three years in a row. That's and crazy. by that point, I would. I think this is like one of the really cool moments. Like yeah. I was watching fantasy football live, which as you mentioned, I'm a cast member on now. Yeah. I was watching it before kickoff because it airs 90 minutes before kickoff <laughs> and in, you know, trying to set my lineup. And I remember turning to my boyfriend at the time and saying like, God, everybody on the show is the same. Like, why don't they have any women on the show? Like if, if, you know, 46% of the NFL viewing audience is women. Like, shouldn't there be some female analysts on this show? And he like shrugged with like a, you know, pizza crust hanging out of his mouth and was like, <laughs> I don't know when you start a blog. And so I took my ass to WordPress and I did. And I had been looking for a creative outlet because the acting and entertainment world is brutal and full of rejection and so while I had been working in that world and doing pretty well like I wanted some control over my own creative freedom and output so I started the fantasyfootballgirl.com and then the next year I like I went on iTunes at the time and like uh put in in the search I said I put in like fantasy football podcasts and wrote personalized query letters to everybody who had one and ended up getting a segment on one uh, sleeper segment on one. So thank you for inviting me to your sleeper show because that's how I built my career. Wow. Um, and it worked really well and their numbers did better with me and it gave me some podcasting experience and that was before the market was what it is now. Yep. And then every year I just tried to come up with like, what am I doing? Like how, what am I adding to my skill set? What am I adding to my offerings this year? Okay, then I eventually got my own podcast and then I started adding video and YouTube clips and finagling my way onto some like red carpets where athletes were so I could get some interviewing experience. And eventually, and all of that time I was, you know, guesting on podcasts and guesting on Sirius XM. And, um, I was doing Nando DeFino's Sirius XM show and, um, Dr. Roto, Mark Bloom happened to hear it. And he reached out and said, the company I work for is hiring. I think you're great. Would you be interested in interviewing? And I said, yeah. So I did and scout fantasy, which I now think is part of SI sports illustrated, um, hired me and that was my first full-time paid season. And then at the end of that season, Yahoo honestly coached me away and I've been with them ever since. That's amazing. Uh, like, first of all, for the people that can't see our faces, I got just <laughs> all smiles. I don't think I've stopped smiling for the last like five minutes and especially like your journey to get in there as like a way to like connect to your grandfather. Like that's just like absolutely amazing. I was trying my best not to tear up as well. Like, uh, that's just 
awesome. And I think that's no better way than to jump right into doing sleepers. I know sleepers, like yeah. you had talked about on another show, is one of the ways that you got into this industry. It was your niche and your way to kind of make an impact on fantasy football. So with that being said, after everything else, who is your first sleeper for the season? Oh, I didn't know this. This is I so little peek behind the curtain. Alex was very nice enough. And for all of you amateur podcasters or burgeoning podcasters, creating a show sheet and giving it to the guest is so helpful so that we can prep and give you the most polished product possible. Sometimes, a lot of times, podcasters don't do that necessarily. So thank you, Alex, for doing this. But also peek behind the curtain. I just lined mine up positionally with yours because he put him who he was going to say. So I don't want to say that this is, I think I might be ending with my number one favorite, oh, okay. but we can, we can skip this is my like. number one running back. Okay. We're, let's say we're beginning with the running back position, okay. if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, I am going to start with Ramondre Stevenson. And I think if you are going to gamble with a late round pick, <laughs> What better way to do it than with a Las Vegas native? That I, I love this kid's story. And we we're talking about stories too. What a good transition! Uh, went to Cerritos College, which is not a junior college, by the way. It's a community college. So when people call him a JUCO kid, that's not one hundred percent accurate. But I get it. Obviously, went on to University of Oklahoma. When Trey Sermon, who's another—I mean, I don't think you can call him a sleeper anymore—but another rookie, uh, when he left for Ohio State. Basically, Stevenson took over for him and, uh, you know, in his 2020 season, he did quite well. He was not a starter in 2019, but he was productive, had some suspension issues, and then in 2020 ended up being the Cotton Bowl MVP. As far as um, who, what he's like as a player, 5'11", 213 pounds, so not a slight guy, <laughs> kind of an imposing an imposing frame. He's a powerful runner. I think you can gather you're also noticing him in New England, like the kind of runner he is. Nice contact balance, breaks those arm tackles, those side tackles. Really good in short yardage. He was drafted by New England in the fourth round. And in fact, uh, in early offseason workouts, he was compared to LeGarrette Blunt by the running back coach, Ivan Fierce. And obviously, if we're looking at LeGarrette Blunt's tenure with the Patriots, you as someone who lives in Massachusetts know like exactly what that might mean oh, for Stevenson and his production. Obviously right now he's a rookie, right? So he's slated to play behind Damian Harris and Sony Michelle, but I don't like this situation seems incredibly fluid to me. Sony Michelle didn't get his fifth year option picked up because I mean, he's been bad, right? Like, like whether it's the lower leg, the lower body injuries, the efficiency, like clearly New England isn't on board. Otherwise, they would have picked up his option. And I really liked Damian Harris, honestly, but I liked him coming out. Um, but he's kind of one of these like jack of all trades, master of none, doesn't really, doesn't really wow on the field. And he's also struggled with his own durability issues. He's um, only managed 11 games over the last two years. And he's only, this is where I like Stevenson, he's recorded just 21 red zone touches. That's the RB48 for that ca yeah. uh, category. And two touchdowns over Ooh. 10 games last year. Okay. So, like, that's not great. And I feel like this is a, Stevenson is not going to have a, like, a huge role immediately, but I do think the opportunities that he will have will be high value opportunities. And 
I think that he'll have some, obviously, a lot of opportunities at the goal line. The Cam Newton situation is a little bit of a wrinkle, but I don't think any of us, you tell me you're listening to the local market more, is expected to be vulturing the goal line for the entirety of the season in 2021. And I think so Stevenson will probably have like a two down role initially, but I think that could grow into a three down role because I think he has that kind of potential. So I really like him in a late round. I was sniped. I had him, I was planning to get him in the Scott fishbowl and I got sniped by like three picks. So I believe in my picks and I try to get him myself. Yeah, no, I, I think he's a good pick. I think he's interesting. I think Damian Harris is someone that I like, but if he doesn't do it, I don't think they'd be afraid to give, I mean, no matter what, they're going to give him opportunities early. And as we've seen with LeGarrette Blunt being a Patriots fan, if he's producing on those opportunities in this Patriot system, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. If you're producing, you're going to produce. So, again, if he's all those things that you says he is, I think that he could absolutely take over. And he could play, again, a two-down role in this offense behind a great offensive line. You have the two tight ends, I think, which is going to help the run game even more. I think mm-hmm. he's someone that's really interesting. But I hate to say it, Liz. I mean, I think we're friends already, but – not as interesting as I think James Conner is at this moment. I'm so in on James Conner as my first sleeper. Um, I think the biggest thing that people don't talk about enough is the fact that Chase Edmonds has had just one goal line carry in 45 career games so far, and that, that that's a little concerning to me. And I think the fact that he's never had more than 100 carries in a season says they might not use him as much as they like are saying they are. And the fact that he's only had 10 carries or more just three times in 45 career games Again, and I think James Conner is still talented. He's been a guy that's been a top 15 in points per game each of the last three years. Injuries have absolutely been a question. I don't think that's ever going to change with James Conner. He is more susceptible to injuries, but the fact that I think he's going to be the guy that, okay, maybe the goal line back role at minimum. But I think the thing is, at the end of the day, like Kenyon Drake last year was the running back 14 last year with Chase Edmonds averaging 10.2 touches a game. So Chase Edmonds can still be the receiving back like he was, and James Conner might play that Kenyon Drake role. This has been a super productive backfield for fantasy at the end of the day, and I just don't trust Chase Edmonds' size enough for him to take enough of a role where I think that James Conner could be a real factor, especially when he's been super, super efficient, especially inside the red zone. He's someone that's really interesting. Do you like James Conner right now at all where you're going? Or would you rather someone like a Zach Moss or Javante Williams in that range? No, I mean, well, Javante Williams has the upside of the unknown, though personally Mm -hmm. I have Melvin Gordon ranked a little bit higher than the consensus because I feel like if the Denver, I mean, these are still business decisions, right? Like, so if the Broncos, who noticed that Gordon is in the last year of his deal. Like why not grind him into the ground and then slowly add the tackle breaking Williams into the fold, you know, like kind of uh, similarly, you know, to the way the, the Ravens added Dobbins in, right? Like Dobbins had a bigger role than I think a lot of us anticipated yep. initially, but I feel like Gordon is going to still get some run and he is in this contract year. So I like Williams for that purpose, for that reason. But I do think that James Conner is an incredible value right now. I believe he's outside of the top 30 running back in ADP. Yeah. And that to me is a really low value. I think a lot of people are just burned because they drafted him really high. Um, And the thing about Chase Edmonds, like I'm avoiding Edmonds. I'm surprised how high he's going because if Cliff Kingsbury wanted to invest in him he would have right the james connor edition wouldn't have existed if that was really on the table and so the fact i love the stat that he's only had one goal line carry in three seasons like it gives me a very clear idea of what kingsbury wants to do with Edmonds, and i just i don't think he is so i think that connor i mean if you're gonna get him at 
running back 35, like, do you think he can be an RB3? Absolutely. I think he could flirt with like low end RB2 numbers. So that's awesome value. For sure. No, I think he's someone that's super interesting. And again, he's someone that, again, you could take in the later rounds and he can emerge as a RB2 or borderline RB1 if he gets the work. And I think that's really interesting. Speaking of interesting, once again, I love your second sleeper. I can't wait to hear you make the case. I don't think he gets talked about enough. And that's Gabriel Davis. So please tell me and the listeners why you were a believer in Gabriel Davis. Yeah, well, I mean, if anybody watched a UCF game, they could know what a big play threat he is drafted in the fourth round of the 2020 draft and he certainly flashed over last season but I think what's more important is that big play ability that he showcased in college was clearly bought in by by his quarterback Josh Allen right he trusted him not just not just overall but particularly in the red area of the field and that's a lot for a rookie to handle especially you know Orchard Park is not uh is not a quiet or not imposing place to play. So the fact that Josh Allen was like, yeah, I'm going to take the rookie early in the season in the, in the red area of the field. That to me says a lot about his maturation process and where I expect him to be in 2021. Last year, he ran a league high number of go routes over 31%. And he recorded top 30 fantasy numbers over the last five weeks of the season from weeks 12 through 17. That's after the bye. And admittedly, John Brown was out. Um, His snap share went to almost 89%. He had seven red zone looks over six games and four touchdowns. Brown, as we all know, is not coming back to Orchard Park in 2021. Yes, Emmanuel Sanders is, but forgive me for not being spooked by a 34-year-old who's on his fourth team since 2018. (laughs) So, yes, the, the, the volume in fantasy is always a game of volume that Davis was maybe initially projected to receive before uh, Sanders was added might dwindle a bit, but the high value opportunities are still going to be available, allowing him to have this like breakout. And also I think the Sanders adding the Sanders addition has like depressed Davis's ADP, which is allowing him to have a better value. I would love to have an electric young player in this offense lining up opposite Stephon Diggs and attached to Josh Allen right now. Yeah, especially when you talk about the thing at the end of the day, the volume is king. And I think the opportunity for him to get it is absolutely there. Right now, they don't have really a tight end that they super believe in. And the, with the right. Cole Beasley situation, we he might not even be able to play this year. And that's a little bit dicey on its own. So of course, That's a great point. Cole, I had not thought about that. If, but I think you're, I, you know, kind of noted that and yeah. moved on. But you're right. But but like you said, beyond that, the fact that Sanders is he's he's competing with a guy that might not even be able to play this season. I think Cole Beasley's a great player, regardless of anything else. I think he'll get a lot of touches. But if he's not able to play, and then Emmanuel Sanders, who you said is 34, playing on his fourth team and has been two or three seasons at this point, again, I think the opportunity for Gabe, sorry, for Davis to get a lot of touches is absolutely there. And especially when you said he's a really talented player, all the makings are there. And when he's going as wide receiver 65 and you can just pluck him at the end of your drafts right now, I think he's someone super interesting. Another guy that I think is super interesting in that range is Elijah Moore. Um, Elijah Moore for the Jets. I know the Jets never really that exciting, but Adam Gase is out of there. So I'm willing to buy into this offense at least a little bit, especially when we just talked about Davis. Davis is going at the end of your drafts, basically free and redraft leagues. That's where Elijah Moore is going. And then there's reports of him absolutely dominating OTAs. Robert Salah said that he can win at every single portion of the field. And in Matt Harmon, 
your friend, my friend, Matt Harmon's reception perception. I mean, Elijah Moore beat, last year had finished in the 95th percentile beating man coverage, 79th percentile beating zone, 83rd beating press. And there's a clear path to him being one of the top targets in this offense. Like you said, volume is everything. I think Corey Davis is the guy, but in that slot role with Zach Wilson, I wouldn't be surprised if Elijah Moore led this team in targets. And if he does that and he gets over 100 targets, he's going to smash his ADP right now when he's going in the late 60s, early 70s. And he's someone that could legitimately be a wide receiver three or four this year if he thrives in the slot. We saw that rookies can do it last year. I mean, J- Jerry Judy didn't produce, but all the things were there. I mean, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just, I thought you were going to say Justin Jefferson. I think production wise, Elijah Moore of these rookies has the best shot of Mm -hmm. being the Justin Jefferson from a fantasy perspective of 2021. I agree. 100% agree. But again, he's someone that's super interesting and someone that will absolutely be leaving the late rounds of my drafts with along with Gabriel Davis. Another guy going in the late rounds. Carson Wentz, your next sleeper. Carson Wentz is a guy that burned me last year. He was one of my two my guys. I love Carson Wentz, the player. I actually think he's super underrated. Again, but the, the pass catchers in this offense is a little concerning. But please tell me, make the case for me why I should be drafting Carson Wentz over someone like a Daniel Jones late in my drafts. Well, you hinted at it. I'll get to Daniel Jones when you, but um, (laughs) you hinted at it because you said he burned you last year. And I think recency bias has completely Mm -hmm. just tanked his ADP. People don't want a piece of it. No, thank you. I'm avoiding it. Like I didn't draft Carson Wentz last year. I was not hurt by him. So I am more open to the reclamation project that Frank Reich is clearly passionate about. I mean, who doesn't love a reunion? This, like, I watched the Friends reunion. I didn't think it was good, but it did great numbers. And that's all that matters, you know? <laughs> Frank Reich, uh, when he was with Frank Reich in Philly, by the way, he was the QB7 over 13 games, by the way. QB7 overall in fantasy and only played 13 games. So his per-game output was stunning. We know that he's mobile. His career, his career high number of rushing attempts as a quarterback per game is 4.9, and that was in the aforementioned 2017 season. So if I extrapolate that out to what he can do in Indianapolis, I'm averaging for my projections about four rushing attempts per game. And that might be like third tier because of the elite rushers that we now have at the top of the game. But here's a fun stat. Under Reich in 2020, Philip Rivers finished as fantasy's QB 19 with just 18 rush attempts for negative eight yards. So if I am projecting four rush attempts for Wentz per game, and I know he has a stronger arm, then QB 19, he should well be able to blow out of the water, especially since T.Y. Hilton was T.Y. Hilton last year and Paris Campbell wasn't even on the damn field. So right now, (laughs) Wentz is currently, according to Yahoo consensus rankings, the QB 18. Do you mean to tell me he's not going to have a better season than Phillip Rivers? Of course he is. Part of the reason he was such trash last year is because of Philly's O-line, which gave up the most sacks in 2020, 65 to be exact. Indy's O-line, by the way, allowed the second fewest sacks, just 21. So now, Wentz will be able to use that big-time arm that we all know that T.Y. Hilton has already said impressed him because he was, you know, dealing with Phillip Rivers' lack of arm strength last season and have the time to be accurate with his big arm, something he was not afforded in 2020. So I hear you about, you know, the playmakers, 
But when I look at the numbers, math is still math. T.Y. Hilton is returning. Michael Pittman is someone I loved out of USC, a burgeoning red zone threat. And if Paris Campbell, the speedster, can stay healthy, I think that's enough to lift Wentz inside the top 15 or 14 easily. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, again, and again, people could be saying, okay, Liz, like, come on, like, he doesn't have the weapons there. But at the end of the day, if Philip Rivers, I didn't know that. I, I didn't even realize that, that Philip friggin' Rivers at that point in his career with 17 rush attempts for negative eight yards can be the QB 19. And Carson Wentz has been an MVP candidate before and done it, especially with his last time playing with Frank Reich. Man, that's that's really interesting. I, I've definitely moved up Carson Wentz on my ranks. Um, but before I get into Daniel Jones and we can have a nice discussion about Danny Dimes himself and how much I really don't believe in him that much, but I think the potential is absolutely there. Let's take a quick commercial break. So Daniel Jones, we are back, by the way, is someone that is more interesting the more I read about him. Do I love the player? No. Do I love the Giants team? Absolutely not, especially as a Patriots fan. But the thing is that Daniel Jones in his games without Saquon in his career has averaged over 20 fantasy points a game, which is right around a QB1 finish right now, literally with Saquon. And again, I'm not I'm not saying that Daniel Jones is anything like Josh Allen whatsoever. But we saw last year how much it makes a difference for a quarterback when you add in a true wide receiver one. And I think Kenny Galladay is absolutely that player. Um, I had Matthew Betts on my fan. Uh, he's an injury doctor for the fantasy footballers, my podcast a few weeks ago. And he said that he has no concerns about Kenny Galladay's hip. And I think when you have all these weapons like Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, I mean, I'm mean, Darius Slayton, maybe even John Ross, who knows? Then you add in someone that is a generational talent running back as Saquon Barkley. I think that he can absolutely put up fantasy numbers. He's also shown a little bit, like you mentioned, with the rushing floor with Carson Wentz. He's someone that runs a little bit when I think that helps him in fantasy. And I think the fact that he's averaged over 20 fantasy points a game with Saquon, which is a borderline QB1. Then you add in Kenny Galladay, and not to mention that he was PFF's highest rated deep ball passer last year. I don't know how, but that is a real stat. Again, he's playing with the best weapons of his career. He's put up some big games, and he's a clear wide receiver one. I think he's worth taking a flyer on because I think he could put up some numbers. I think on paper, Daniel Jones makes a lot of sense, and I am here for it. Okay. Let's talk briefly about Saquon Barkley, because I did a series called Rest versus Rust, um, Yeah, and where I worked with an orthopedic, uh, the team doctor at USC, an orthopedic surgeon for the university, that's the University of Southern California, and I profiled Saquon Barkley and interviewed him. Did you know, if you're quoting PFF, that Saquon Barkley also has the toughest schedule of any starting running back in the league? And that Vegas has his comeback player of the year odds at plus 500. So now I know that there's a great picture of his quads and his Instagram (laughs) vids are fire, but like. I don't know if he'll be. Um, I also know he's easing himself into the season. I'd encourage everyone to read the rest, rest versus rust article because I learned a lot about uh, knee injuries and and how they heal. Um, I think he's going to struggle at the top of the season. I don't think he's going to be given a full workload to start the season. I think it won't be until maybe three weeks in that he's even given, you know, close to the 18 touches that we're used to three, four weeks in. As for Kenny Galladay, he was the third player I profiled in rest versus rust. And the hip issue is interesting. I do believe that he has a tear in his labrum that was not repaired. They do not have to be repaired. Again, I'd encourage people to read this because it is fascinating from a, a medical perspective. 
I agree that Kenny Galladay is like a stellar player and I love his talent. I think there are a lot of pieces here though that we are just assuming are going to work out and also not factoring in the complete um, lack of, gosh, competency that Jason Garrett brings to the table. And so I think on paper, it all makes sense for Daniel Jones. And clearly the investment in him and Gettleman trying to save his ass, frankly, (laughs) makes a lot of sense. But I just don't want to have to trust Garrett, who's done a great job with the defense, to handle this offense. Yeah, no, I I think that's an absolutely fair point. And again, I think like you said, on paper, I think all the things make sense. But again, I'm going to have to read some rust versus rest and and make some again. But like Saquon and Kenny Galladay are not guys I'm in on in fantasy anyway for some of those reasons and different reasons already. But again, I just feel like because of the talent, there's there's not many people going where he is in drafts that have as talented of players regardless of anything else. But again, I, I, I like Daniel Jones, but I think you convinced me. I, I think you actually did convince me. I would probably take Carson Wentz over Daniel Jones at this point. But I would also just want to throw this in there real quick. I would also be taking a little bit of Trey Lance right at the end of my draft, especially with this playoff schedule this year. Um, that's a guy that I should have had on my list. I think he's super interesting. That'll be for another episode for sure. But Trey Lance is absolutely a guy leader in the rounds that I would absolutely love to go after. Another guy that I'd love to, love to go after is your next guy. Please tell us about mm. Amon Ross St. Brown, someone that I'm absolutely buying into. Oh, I love to hear that. That's good to know. Also, I just really quickly, I wanted to contextualize Daniel Jones according to ADP. So Carson Wentz is going at 21, let's say, according to Fantasy Pros. And Daniel Jones is going at 26. But he's going right behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay. And right ahead of, like, Zach Wilson. So we'll get to our the end. I, I would take Fitzpatrick over Daniel Jones. But if... I am stuck in a super flex and I have to choose between Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones, then I agree with you. I would go in on Daniel Jones. So just yeah. a little. No, absolutely. All right. So Amon Ross St. Brown. Ah, I think this is, I, I can't believe how much I've talked about USC by the way, because that's who <laughs> this guy came from. Obviously um, he's the younger brother to Equinemius St. Brown out of Notre Dame with the Packers. So interesting that they're both playing in the same division. Um, He was an immediate and regular contributor in college, which I always like to mention and see because there wasn't a lot of lag time, right? Like he's got that um, ability to produce off of out of the gate, which I think is important when we're looking at rookies. And if we're looking at his skill set, in case people haven't like studied his tape, just to kind of get an idea of what kind of player he is, really good route runner, nice crisp route. He has natural hands. Nice body controlled. He can get after the catch really well. Slip past defenders, kind of elusive like that. But he's only five foot eleven, under two hundred pounds, and he doesn't have that top end long speed. In fact, I would classify him as slow, which isn't great for a slot guy. Uh, he clocked a forty time of four point six six, so not great. But we do know that he is going to be a slot guy because of his size. A nice short to intermediate option. We also know that Jared Goff, the new quarterback in Detroit has a nice history with slot options. We've seen him yeah. struggle uh, in the in the deep ball game. And so he's going to like to check down. And I think that Brown, particularly when we talk about volume and volume being king, is going to see a ton of that. He was a fourth-round pick, and he was the only wide receiver added by Detroit, which was pretty alarming, like not even surprising, but alarming, considering they're basically leaving Jared, Wolf, Jared Goff out to the Wolves because they don't have Kenny Galladay. They don't have Mark 
Quinn Jones. They don't have Danny Amendola anymore. All of those guys are out of Detroit. That's over 200 targets vacated from at least the 2020 season. So I think that Brown brings a lot of overlooked refinement in his game to the table, an immediate ability to understand routes and concepts and put those into action and produce. And I think that outside of TJ Hawkinson, he's going to be golf guy. Yeah. I, I, that's why I like him so much again. Cause again, you talked about over 200, the exact number is 294 vacated targets. I don't know if that's a record, but that's got to be pretty close to it for that many targets being out of your offense. And again, when you have a guy that's talented, not only that, but again, like you talked about, I think one of the biggest thing that people don't talk about enough is the slot thing. The fact that he's going to be their slot guy this year and the fact that Jared Goff loves the slot. I'm not saying we're not saying that he's going to be Cooper Cup yet, particularly, especially because he's not a fast guy. But again, he likes guys that can get open. He likes guys that are smart, savvy and are willing to take a hit over the middle and a Monra St. Brown checks all of those boxes and again staying on the topic of brown why not talk about antonio brown as a sleeper i love antonio brown as a sleeper again he was the i heard this today on a podcast the third most targeted runner per route in the entire nfl last year behind only Devonte adams and braxton barrios so i think that alone is very intriguing but antonio brown is a very good case antonio brown was the wide receiver 18 from weeks 10 to 17 last year in ppr i know people are screaming at me right now he had big week 17 finish and i know he had a lot of points in that game incentives whatever you want to talk about again that shows that if one of those guys get injured he still has the ceiling and he can still be that same player but he's still produced. He's going as the wide receiver 45 right now in ADP, and he did almost didn't play football for two seasons prior to that. In efficiency, he was still great. In PFF, he was 10th in PFF receiving grade among players with 70-plus targets last year. He was 15th in, route, in yards per route run per player profiler with 2.07. And the 11 full games counting the playoffs – their big three wide receivers, their targets were Godwin 78, Evan 77, Antonio Brown 76. And beyond that, he had the highest target share on their team from weeks 10 to 17. I mean, this guy can absolutely still do it. Reception perception as well showed that he still had it. He still finished in the 88th percentile in beating man coverage. You give him an entire season. The last thing I want to mention real quick, and I'll shut up about Antonio Brown, is the fact that he signed with them in week seven. He had two weeks to learn the playbook and literally came into the offense and still produced. You give this guy a full offseason to hopefully get his head together, but that is a whole nother topic. But again, yeah. I think where he's going in drafts right now, as cheap as he is, I think he could be the best wide receiver between those three. And the fact that they have a guy like that going in this range is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think you make – I didn't know some of these stats, so kudos, um, because I just looked at my rankings and I've decided based on your argument to move him up. I had him as a wide receiver 51. Oh, so. Wow. I think a lot, I think, I think that's off. Like, I think that's on me. I have to like adjust because, you know, you mentioned when he was signed in the season though, also yeah. Brady was holding these not so legal off season workouts and, sure. you know, but, it, but then also he's Brady's guy and Brady's yeah. obviously going to get what he wants. Um, and we have to imagine that Bronk will probably see a reduction in targets this yep. year because his body's going to take a beating. And the question is, and you saw towards the end of the season, Brady and Mike Evans finally building that rapport, that chemistry. Touch, Brady began to trust Mike Evans in those high-pointing contested catch situations, which makes his role more clearly defined. And so then the battle is between Godwin and Brown. And if Brown is number three or has the opportunity to be number three in targets, like I, I like that, especially if he's going you know, sub-40. 
for, yep. for uh, the position in fantasy. Yeah, the, the only thing I want to say, and I think I'd be a giant hypocrite right now if I didn't say this to people, is the thing I keep talking about in this range, like with people in drafts in general, is you want to be targeting guys that have a clear path to targets because if they're the wide receiver three or the third or fourth option in their offense, they're just not going to make it in fantasy for you. They're not going to be a guy that, again, you can draft a guy at wide receiver 45 ADP. If he finishes at 37, like that's not going to win you your league at the end of the day yeah. when you're playing nine or 11 or 15 other people. So again, that's the other reason. But again, I think the thing is the fact that it's Antonio friggin' Brown. And I get he's 33, and I get he's not the same player, and maybe it's name value, but he showed last year in Week 17 he still has that ceiling, and I'm betting on that you could absolutely get that while still getting a solid target share in that range. But that is that. I'll stop talking about Antonio Brown. Our last position today is the tight ends. We each have a sleeper tight end. Um, again, please tell me about your final sleeper of the day. Oh, well, I, this is my probably my favorite sleeper. Um, as we mentioned at the top of the segment, listen, when the New Orleans Saints give up four picks to scoop a prospect at a scheme-friendly position, you take note even if you know that note won't be good for a year. That is what Adam Troutman is all about. Grew up in Michigan, recruited by Dayton to play quarterback, actually. Transitioned to tight end and closed out his career at Dayton being one of the most dominating players and productive players the position. Yes, yes, small school, but still with a stat line of 79, 16, and 14 as a senior in 2019. Okay, I like those numbers. <laughs> production is production, right? Like, And it's not just that, but like he drew a massive amount of buzz throughout the draft process, particularly over the Senior Bowl. I'm a big Senior Bowl fan. I watch it every year. It's how I like begin my whole rookie offseason research. He's six foot five, 255 pounds, great position. I mean, great, great frame for the position. He can adjust to the ball midair, very natural hands, aggressive after the catch, wins in the red zone. He only, because of targets last year, managed 16 looks. He only drew 16 targets, but he converted 15 of those. So I like the efficiency, very small sample size. People might roll their eyes. But here's the other thing we know. What is the number one reason that tight ends don't develop or get on the field a lot in their rookie season? Alex? Yeah. it's the, Again, they're not ready. Because they can't block. Because it is a skill set that is not particularly uh, honed in college. And yet this kid, who has managed to outkick every other expectation, small school, former quarterback, <laughs> from all those other things, he agrees. Treated out as, P as PFF number one run blocking tight end in 2020 Numero uno. as a rookie. It's amazing. That is an amazing stat. Like he's going to be on the damn field on in uh, every single formation because he's also a good blocker. We like players that gather snaps, even if they're not always as part of a run con or part of a pass concept. The fact that they're blocking on the field gives them opportunity, right? So we want them as part of every single snap. And he's going to see more volume, a ton more in 2021 anyway, because Josh Cook, I'm sorry, because Jared Cook and Josh Hill are gone. Between the two of them, that's 70 tight end targets. Remember we talked about Emmanuel Sanders earlier as well. He's not in New Orleans anymore. That's another 80 looks. Okay, 80 plus looks. So now we're looking at 150 vacated targets. This dude is going to be third in team opportunities and catches in 2021. It's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, and the other thing, that, again, that again, number when we're talking about number one in the NFL stats as a rookie, 
He was number one in the NFL in true catch rate with a 93.9% true catch rate. What can't this guy do? I left him for you. I want to throw you a nice lob, little basketball in here and let you dunk it home. I had a feeling you were going to take Troutman. That's why I took Gerald Everett. I love Adam Troutman as much as you do. I just checked. And finally, after months on enemy talking, the people have heard me. They've upgraded him at Fantasy Pro's consensus rankings. For months on end, he was going as the tight end 27, where Mo Ali Cox finished last year on just 39 targets and 4.6 points per game. And now he's the tight end 23, which is still way too low. And the thing that we keep talking about over and over and over on this podcast is volume. And again, after Michael Thomas, after Alvin Kamara, Adam Troutman, with everything you just talked about, is going to be the guy. He is a clear path for targets. And again, like you talked about, all these vacated targets, especially the vacated tight end targets, he is no real competition for a tight end. He is a clear path to be the third option in this offense, and especially if Jameis Winston is the quarterback. Look at his years in Tampa Bay with Cameron Brayton and O.J. Howard. Touchdown machines. He likes his tight ends. So again, I think everything is there for Adam Troutman. I think he is going to be this year's late round tight end that could finish like top three or four. I don't think he's going to finish there, but like the Robert Tunyon or Logan Thomas this year, I think it's Adam Troutman. The only other guy that it could be is Gerald Everett. I really like Gerald Everett, especially as a hyper-athletic tight end. And since 2018, he was the 14th best tight end in PFF receiving grade. He leads all tight ends in missed tackle rate missed tackle rate since 2018 and the fact that they signed Shane Waldron who's the former Rams passing game coordinator who's coming with him and Gerald Everett himself said that the reason he signed with Seattle is because of Shane Waldron I think that's awesome and again when you see someone like Jimmy Graham who had multiple top five seasons in Seattle as a tight end and then you have Russell Wilson who's thrown at least 31 passing touchdowns each of the last three years the touchdown upside is there he's a super athletic tight end and like we talked about with volume outside of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett he could absolutely be the third option in this passing game as a hyper athletic tight end in this offense again he's someone that's super interesting late I love the athleticism I love the target upside I love the talent not as much as I love Adam Troutman but he could absolutely be a big time producer this year do you like Gerald Everett as well in these later rounds yeah I mean I like him a lot just even from a player perspective living in Los Angeles I'm yeah pretty familiar with the Rams and so um I liked his ability you have to remember that Sean McVay was a tight end coach when he was in Washington right and so he has when looking at playmaking skills an eye for the tight end position and so he obviously um drafted Everett uh with a certain mold in mind and the fact I love that, that you made them the point about Shane Waldron moving over which I think should open up and a lot of us are hoping will open up will allow this Seattle offense to cook a little bit um so I I, I think those are great my only issue is going to be how much this offense cooks and how consistently it cooks week to week. I hate saying cooks that much, really. <laughs> but um, so it's going to be a bit of a battle because we also know that Pete Carroll's like not another USC guy, um, not into <laughs> that as much. So I, I think there's going to be a little push pull, but there were even times last season that like Greg Olson was a streaming option, you know? So at this late in your draft, like honestly, if you're not drafting, after Hawkinson, basically, if you're not drafting out of the top four at the position, you're basically looking for a streamer, right? You're looking yep. for four to five catches and 50 to 60 yards a game, maybe a touchdown on a lucky week. I think Edward, Everett can get you that. I think he's, I, th- I would imagine an average of four catches and like 45 yards per week is probably what he's going to deliver. 
again, and Ian, like you said, I think you make a great point there where the upside's absolutely there for him to go even higher. But again, he's a guy that yeah. you're looking for that's going to be solid, that has checks all the other boxes, especially in those late rounds. If you don't get those first four or five tight ends, I'd rather wait till the end of your drafts and grab an Adam Troutman or Gerald Everett. Those are the guys that I'd want at the end of the day. Um, but that is it. Those are each of our top five sleepers. But my final question for you today, my favorite question in the entire world on the podcast is what is your 2021 flag plant your boldest prediction that you actually believe in. Give it to us. Oh, well, I don't know if I have a specific tradition uh, prediction, but I am all about the Washington football team this season. Um, according to BetMGM, they are behind Dallas to win the division in terms of odds. I think they win the division. I am all aboard. I think it's going to be, listen, Scott Turner has been top 10 in pass attempts over two straight seasons, mm. Washington last year and Carolina in 2019. They, and the best part about that is, like, when you think of the Washington football team, you think last year, you think about the defense, right? You think about Chase Young. They had a good defense and were still lit on offense. That is what I'm talking There wasn't this, like, oh, they're amazing uh, defense like, like the Ravens, right? So the offense just doesn't really pass the ball. No. When they went ahead and added Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mr. YOLO himself, you knew that this was going to be an aggressive charge. I love the weapons, right? I think... I have Ryan Fitzpatrick, by the way. He's going to be a top 15. That is a conservative estimate. I am all aboard the fifth magic train. McLaurin, top 10 option. Samuel, who, by the way, three-year, $34.5 million contract is what he signed. Now, remember, like, the free agency market this past March, particularly for the wide receiver position, was, like, pretty boring outside of Galladay. And, and to see Samuel get this kind of money and a three-year commitment says a lot about his usage. He's, a, for fantasy, a top 35 option. Antonio Gibson was on my breakout rookies last year uh, list. He's a top 12 option. Logan Thomas is a top 10 option. Like, I don't see how this team isn't going to win the division. And I think probably, like, advance to at least the second round of the NFL playoffs. I love that. That is a great take. And I think like, not only do I believe everything you said, I think for fantasy, they're guys that I'm starting to all fall in love with more and more. PFF did a thing on comparing Alex Smith with Ryan, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Alex Smith. Great story. Phenomenal. I loved watching every single minute of it last year and then being able to make the playoffs. But Ryan Fitzpatrick was just better in every single metric last year and over the last couple of years. Um, I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be really good for them. I love Terry McLaurin. He's someone that I was wrong about earlier in the offseason. He was the wide receiver 10 through the first 10 weeks before playing on not one, but two high ankle sprains. And Curtis Samuel is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. Oh, he's going into his fifth season, right? And I don't know if you've heard this before. But he's increased his targets, his receiving yards, his rush attempts, and his rushing yards mm -hmm. all four seasons of his career. And going into last season, to talk about our guy Matt Harmon, Matt Harmon said that Curtis Samuel was one of the guys that had hit over the 85th percentile in beating man and press coverage going into their third season or later that hadn't hit a thousand yard season. One of them was Calvin Ridley and the other was Sterling Shepard and Shepard didn't do it, but Calvin Ridley did. So it's just Curtis Samuel. I think he's absolutely going to produce, especially in the number two role in this offense. I'm with you. I'm, I'm wheels up. And again, don't even get me started about Antonio Gibson because we will be here all night. I'm falling more and more in love with him every single day. I absolutely love him. And just one last note on Ryan Fitzpatrick, Please. because I think a lot of people think he's been in the league a long time, right? Yeah. So a lot of people think they know what he is. But when you look back at the numbers, as you mentioned or alluded to, they're surprisingly good. Um, over, he has posted top 14, so starter in a lot of leagues, 
top 14 fantasy numbers in 20 and top 10 numbers in 10. I'm sorry. He has posted top 14 fantasy numbers in 20 and top 10 numbers in 16 of his last 30 games with a minimum of 25 attempts. So he has been a producer and a QB1 producer more times than he's not. He also has wheels and, you know, this isn't (laughs) necessarily a player that you want to pay attention to for fantasy, but when you look to him as being a contributor to Fitzpatrick's um, production, he is reuniting with Adam Humphreys, who he Ooh. also targeted and was a former teammate of back when in Tampa Bay. Absolutely. So that's like another weapon for him. Again, I don't think Humphreys is like a play in fantasy, but I do think he is someone that you can add to just the, the riches ahead of Ryan Fitzpatrick. 100%. That is a great take. Yeah, that is the first team-related take, I think, or one of the first I've heard of the flag plans, but I'm all in on it. I love every guy in this offense. I think they have a top... 10 maybe even a top five defense and i think this team could make some noise and i hope they do screw america's team screw the cowboys i'm sorry to all my cowboys fans out there uh i hope that dak has an amazing season but they still go 0 and 16 um that would be my hope and my dream but again that is it for today thank you so much liz for being on the podcast before we go is there anything that you're working on or anything that you're you want the listeners to know about that you'd like to plug um, well, I would love you guys to check out the Rust versus Rust series because it is really in-depth and also just once you better understand these injuries, it's also easier when other players get these injuries to sort of understand what timelines are like or how to be realistic about them. Um, so check those out at Yahoo Sports. Also, the uh, Summer Olympics kick off next yes. Wednesday, and I will be the the face of the video coverage for the Summer Olympics on Yahoo Sports. and. It's super exciting. I'm going to be working some gnarly shifts, 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. for three straight weeks. So I would encourage everybody to download the Yahoo Fantasy app, the Yahoo Sports app, and check out that coverage of the Olympics. And then obviously as we ramp up through fantasy season, stick with us then too. Absolutely. That's a phenomenal plug. And I could not be more excited for the Summer Olympics as well. It is my favorite Olympics. But again, one of the great things in all of sports and some of the best three weeks that you will ever see across all competition, getting to watch the best in the world do what they do at any sport is just so beyond cool to me. It doesn't matter what it is. And yeah, I could go on and on all day. I love the Olympics. But Liz, thank you so much for coming on today. You can follow her at Liz Loza underscore FF on Twitter. I would highly recommend following her for her great takes, great personality, and the Olympic coverage. Doesn't get much better than that. But for anyone, thank you so much for listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast today. I would really appreciate a review. We're always trying to get feedback because the only way that we can get better is to get feedback. Good, bad, indifferent. I don't care. I want to hear it all because that is the only way you get better. So with that being said, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day.